What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Today, I am sitting down with my man, Joshua Broom. Now, if you have been in this space at all, like the anti-porn, Christian porn recovery, porn addiction healing space, I can pretty much guarantee you have at least seen Joshua's face. Uh, This guy has been on some mega platforms recently, sharing his story and really um, just getting the word out about the harmful effects of pornography and the healing and hope that exists through Jesus Christ. And he's a huge inspiration. But what separates Josh from a lot of our guests is, you know, we have people come on all the time who talk about healing and health and, you know, giving you guys hope in this area. And, you know, that's a huge part of what drives our podcast and why we do what we do. But um, Josh comes from the completely opposite side. He was a porn actor for many years. And I mean, this guy was not just an actor. He was a star. He has over a thousand film credits in the porn industry and, um, you know, was just very successful. One adult male performer of the year, but was depressed, uh, was suicidal and really just was, was messed up. And Jesus met him, turned his life around. And this guy's like on fire for God now. And just totally crushing it. And like I said, is, is really been afforded some incredible influence. So um, it's a fascinating conversation. And I, I did a little bit of an interviewer faux pas um, because, you know, like the, the classic headline for him everywhere he goes is like from porn star to pastor, you know, like people just love that headline. So I was like, when I started the interview, you'll hear it. But I was like, okay, bro, like I know everybody, you know, they, they have the same angle. They all want to do the porn star to pastor story. We're not going to do go too far into that. I, I want to get you know the gist of it, but then uh, but then let's talk about you know some other things because there's just so much depth to this guy and uh, that story tagline is so superficial. Like there's so much more to him, but we honestly probably spent 45 minutes just talking about this story, uh, and I felt bad. I felt like I didn't hold up my end of the deal, but it was so interesting what he was sharing, and um, there were so many details that we got into that he said afterwards. He's like, I don't normally get to share those details. Like thank you for asking some of those questions. Um, so it, we got a really unique angle on it anyway. Um, and then we did start to talk a little bit about, you know, just more recent happenings in his life, what he's really dreaming about and some of the things God's teaching him now. And, uh, there's just, you're going to learn, you're going to be inspired. And, you know, one of the things I love about Josh and I loved about bringing him on is just like, it's very inspiring because you hear about what God did in his life and you realize if he can do it for him, then geez, uh, like like a little porn addiction uh, is nothing for him. Um, so anyway, it was a great interview. I know you're really going to be blessed by it. And I just encourage you to, to really tune in, open up your heart. Uh, here's my interview with Josh Broom. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Okay, well, I'm here with Josh Broom. Uh, Man, Josh, I've been following you on social media. We've been rubbing shoulders at a couple events here and there. It's such an honor to finally have you here, man. Thanks for uh, joining the podcast. Absolutely. Same here, man. Big, big uh, fan of what you do and you do it so well. So I'm, I'm honored to be here. I really appreciate it. So, um, 
You have actually had some really cool opportunities lately um, on, I would say, some pretty decent platforms, uh, really sharing your story. I'm just curious, man, what's it been like for you lately to, uh, to really get your story out to the masses? Yeah, it's been really neat because um, I started telling my story on stages five years ago. And I think that so often we have a zeal and a desire to do something, but we lack the preparation to actually do it well. <laughs> And yeah. what I've seen in my story is I said no to a few things and some things said no to me. And it kind of limited the exposure of my story for quite some time because I've been telling it for a long time. But over the last year, I've had some opportunities to you know, tell my story on some pretty big platforms, uh, specifically yeah. the last six months or so. And uh, it's it's been... It's been really encouraging, but what I'm thankful for is the opportunities I didn't have yet because I think that, um, you know, almost like if you give someone who is very irresponsible with money a million dollars and they squandered it, they would be really regretful of that. But if they if they had the time to, you know, understand their relationship with money and understand investing and and really um, you know, take some time to make a plan and systematically approach, like, how do I want to um, utilize this thing that I have? Because we all have a story and it's important and we're all mm -hmm. given gifts and talents and resources. And it's up to us how we utilize it. And to utilize it well, we have to have a plan and we have to be prepared. And I think like that is what God has done in my life over the last few years. He's prepared me to be more effective in telling my story. And also, you know, people have have a lot of questions about my story. And I don't think five, six um, years ago, I would have been able to answer those questions with any clarity or <laughs> not as well as I, I could today. Yeah, that's really well said. And I think um, it's a good reminder too that like sometimes you say no to the good things because God has something better. Um, but it's it's the gap in between that can be really frustrating and annoying and uh, kudos yeah. to you, man, because um, like you said, I think I think the fact that your story is on display now, um, it really shows that there was a lot of work behind it and that you were you were in the trenches long before maybe people were super interested in hearing uh, the Josh Broom story. Um, the trenches go back much further, though, than you just starting to speak about how you came out. I mean, you have a, a, a riveting story. Um, the tagline, I think if people Googled your name, they're going to see from porn yeah. star to pastor pretty quickly. And um, that story has been, I think, extensively covered. So we don't have to go into all of the details here. But I guess I want to go just further back before you even got into porn. Um, were you a consumer of it? Like you kind of, you grew up in the generation where things were not digitized per se, certainly not when you were younger, but were, were you a consumer? And, and I'm just curious if that played at all into your eventual entry into the porn industry. Um, I would say, uh, I, I think probably 10 to 15 times I, I consumed pornography like before being exposed to it like it, it okay. wasn't something that i i watched with any regularity um i the but i was i was exposed to pornography at a very not a very young age but i was uh maybe 13 or 14 years old i was i remember being at my cousin's house and he had these magazines and um he showed me and uh, i i felt you know confused excited like all these emotions that really i really didn't know how to process 
And I remember it, it's so funny and such a clear indication of how when you are exposed to something, you develop an appetite for something you didn't necessarily have before. Yeah. And for me that like, I, I love sports illustrated, huge, huge sports fan of, of all things. And I would get sports illustrated and I love data. I love stats. I love numbers. Um, I can tell you more than you would ever want to know about Kobe Bryant, but, <laughs> and I, I just loved it. But with that sports, that sports illustrated, you'd always get that swimsuit edition. And I always saw that. And it was just like, whatever, like I, I saw it, it was a pretty girl in the front, but I didn't think anything about it. But I remember after being exposed to that, I saw that magazine and it, and it was this in the middle, there was this like fishnet stuff. And it was, um, you know, it was a little bit more exposed than normal. And I remember seeing that through a very, a very different lens. And ultimately mm. that's what pornography does. It's a gateway into eclipsing this desire for something you didn't have before. And all of a sudden the lens in which you view everything else is now different. Yeah. Okay. So not tons of exposure, by the way, it's taking everything within me to not go on a Kobe tangent right now. Cause I'm such a fan. <laughs> Basketball is like my jam through and through. Um, but okay, so you kind of had some exposure, but then what was it that eventually, like, how did you end up in, I guess, the direction that eventually led to porn acting? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a culmination of me being incredibly promiscuous from, you know, I, I became sexually active around like 15 or 16 and okay. was very sexually active you know, that, that entire time up until when I was in porn. So I think like being active in that way and just, you know, having one night stands and not necessarily being in a committed monogamous relationship impacted the way that I viewed women, the way I viewed relationships, the way I viewed sex. Yeah. But I moved to Hollywood to continue to pursue modeling and acting. So I, I went from a psych major to a theater major and that's what I studied in college. And the second semester of my sophomore year, I ended up dropping out. And I thought if I put myself in closer proximity to um, where I wanted to work and where all these jobs were, I would have more success. So I did that. And I did. So I, I got an agent for modeling and for acting. And it was always this like two-sided coin for me because I had... I very easily had a lot of success in modeling, but I wanted to have more success in acting and not that I, I wasn't having success in acting, but like, that is the thing that I loved, but modeling was a thing to kind of, you know, that I had more success in. But like most people living in Hollywood, um, you have to get a nine to five or a, a job to uh, make ends meet. And me, like many other people, I was working at a restaurant slash bar in Hollywood and in that bar, I met a group of girls and they said, Hey, do you want to be an actor? And I was like, I'm, I am an actor. And for me, I'm all about relationships. I'm all about connections. So I thought, Hey, these people are going to, you know, introduce me to a director or maybe they're working on a project that I can be a part of. This is going to be great. So I went from being very excited about something coming to fruition that I have, you know, been pursuing for 10 plus years to them saying, Oh no, we're talking about, porn and to be honest like I, I know it's a strange comparison but it makes sense to me but okay. I recently took my kids to Disney World and when he saw when my three-year-old saw Mickey he was overwhelmed because he he never watches like 
Mickey in a parade, he watches cartoons. So when he saw a real life Mickey in front of his face, it was so overwhelming. He was afraid. And for me, when I saw these girls saying that they were porn actors and this is, or actresses, and this is what they did for a living. All of a sudden, this thing that I saw as fictitious was real in front of me. And it just really goes to show like how people view porn. It's like, those are not images, they're people. Right. So these images were alive and talking to me and inviting me into their space. Yeah. And I was, I think because I was so intrigued by sex and it was such an arbitrary thing to me, I think that my curiosity overcame my conscience because huh. my conscience knew this is a terrible idea and, you know, I'm going to upset and embarrass my, my family, my specifically my mother. In addition to that, um, you, you essentially, as a modeling actor, you, you, you live on your reputation, right. you know, you, you, so, um, I knew I I knew by saying yes to that that was going to diminish some things, but it, to dig even deeper in it, I think what led me to pursue this curiosity was that I believed within me that there was a lack of ability of achieving my dream, and it and it was born out of an insecurity in myself. Hmm. So I believe maybe this counterfeit version of my dream is the closest I could ever get. So let yeah. me just see what that looks like. So that is what that's what put my yes on the table and led me to agreeing to meet with their agent. And then once I met with their agent, he said, Hey, you know, wh what are you doing here? Just ask some pretty, pretty basic questions about you about me. And then he was like, Oh, okay, you know, I, I grew up I said, I grew up with my mom. I'm here to pursue acting. I've been here for X amount of time. Yeah. You know, pretty much I want to be famous. You know, I, I'm, I'm out yeah. here uh, not to be famous, but, you know, it's like I want to be successful in this genre. And he's yeah. like, you know, you, you're a good looking guy. There's not a ton of good looking guys in porn. You can be successful. Um, you know, porn is, is shifting out of this. Um, you know, the, the term is gonzo, but um, this this a guy walks into a room and it happens. There's these you know, large productions, there's these scripts, right. there's these large movies, there's parroting movies, they're doing all these things. And actually your ability to be a good actor is going to be advantageous for you because you'll be able to be the guy. So you'll be famous. You'll everyone will know your name, you know, just, wow. just, so just laying it on thick where I'm hearing a very, you know, a counterfeit version of, of who I want to be and what I want to pursue. And it's like, am I willing to compromise myself to achieve that? And in that moment, uh, my lack of belief in myself hmm. was ultimately the thing that led me to say yes. And, and we can dig deep into it, but man, um, I have over the last year really unpacked how I have found a lot of healing and freedom um, from that life, but we, I'm sure we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there for sure. That, it's a fascinating story. And did did you say that the guy mentioned that there aren't a lot of good-looking guys in porn? Is that what he said? Well, yeah, because I because I said you know I, I'm modeling this thing that, and at the time it was true because oh, okay <laughs> uh, because the thing was is um, up until that point there were not a lot of feature films, so. It, you know, it, it was about, can you do the job and do you have 
what is required to do the job because for the most part, um, the directors would shoot around the guy because right. you, know, you, you walk into a room and it happens and they're showcasing the girl and whatever. So it, yeah. it, it honestly didn't matter what the guy looked like. It just mattered if he could get the job done. So, but, yeah. th but that started to change as they, they started to make what they call feature films. Right. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've interviewed a mutual friend of ours, Brittany Dillamora, who obviously has a similar story, but on the female yeah. side. And, um, you know, it, it, it was very typical of what you hear. Like they kind of sell you on, you're going to be a star. People are yeah. going to know your name. You're going to be famous. And I was curious if that's what they did on the, on the male side as well. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, I think, I think it's probably, um, I mean, I would assume it's not, um, it's not a, co a cookie cur a cookie cutter like presentation that he gives, but sure. um, for the most part, because ultimately, if you're sitting in front of someone willing to prostitute themselves for sex, you're they're going to be pretty easily to manipulate, to yeah. I mean, to, to be transparent. Because, 100%. Um, I mean, another thing that I would like to discuss at some point um, in our time together is um, the the contracts that you sign. Oh yeah. Okay. Because, um, you know, you, you walk into a room and they, they say, hey, here's how you get paid. Sign this. But what you're what you're really signing is so much more. But if you if you think about if, if you're going to sell yourself for sex, are you really concerned about the nuances of a contract you're signing? Probably yeah, right. Not. Like you're, 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 if it's, if it's early on in your career, you're probably afraid. You're probably dealing with you know, some guilt, some doubt, you know, um, you're wondering what's going to happen. You're, you're probably embarrassed that you're there. There's always emotions that are superseding the cognitive awareness needed to essentially go through a legal contract. Right. Like no one's contract, calling up their lawyer to make sure that yeah. it's. Cloud, yeah, but the reality is that legal contract says, hey, we're going to pay you this fee. Yes, you'll get a check today. But in addition to that, um, all the content, the, the video, the audio, and um, all the pictures that we take today, um, we are going to own that outright. You have no access to it. In addition to that, which is the worst part, the, the in addition to, um, we reserve all rights to sell and repurpose as many times as we want all of this, all of this product from today and sell it to third parties over and over and over again. So an wow. unlimited amount of people they can send it to and they can partition the content in any capacity they desire because you wow. have no rights to it because you've agreed on this day, I'm signing away any and everything that is filmed and I have no access to it. So I've done a thousand films that are partitioned into 10,000 pieces of pictures and videos and memes and, and all this stuff, which I, I, I wish I had a billion dollar um, <laughs> backing and, and, and I could go to bat. And, but the, the reality is who knows how many entities own various pieces of that content. Right. Yeah. And it, I guess you're shedding some light on these stories we're hearing now about, you know, girls who are finding their stuff. It's ruining, especially like you hear these stories about teenage girls, it's ruining their reputation, you know, because, one video leaks out they they lose they lose all access to it all rights and they can't control its spread um yeah. and it's driving people to do you know crazy things so i guess i'm curious where in your story did you realize the gravity of these contracts you had signed like because i think as you said like you come in green all you're thinking yeah. about is the paycheck the yeah. clicks the uh, you know the fame whatever 
Yeah. At what point were you like, wait a minute, what are you you're doing? What with my videos or, you know, when did those parts of the contract surface? Um, I, I guess I began to think about these things when, um, so I, for, for a period of time for, I think I was under contract for a year. Um, I directed and produced content for a really large company within the adult film industry. Oh, wait, and, so let me just pause you there. So, sorry. So, cause, um, so you were acting and producing and directing, or can you even maybe just yeah. differentiate those a little bit? Is it just the same yeah, as any so, other movie or, you know, how does that work? Oh, so, um, so it was for Penthouse. Like, so there was a company that contracted me as a director and I wrote the films, casted the talent and hired a, a crew. And, you know, we, we, we filmed wow. the movie. Um, okay. So, so that, so that was kind of the, the aspect of like where, you know, looking back, like God really like gleaned a lot of things that I'm utilizing now. But um, so, so these these people so this isn't a time where people that have been in the industry for a you know a, a period of time and social media is starting to come on the rise and people are starting to see that um, my own likeness has value so beyond mm. me just getting paid for stuff it's like i can make money on my own so hmm. people started to create their own websites and you know they, there would be talk about you know will i have access to this content and then, you know, and then, you know, the company that I was directing for, like, oh, no, like anything we film, they don't have any access to in any capacity. It's, it, you know, it's like who like and it, it's crazy because it's it's a fictitious identity of you. So there's another layer. <laughs> and it, at the same time, so it, it was a double. So it was that. And then um, I'm really passionate about acting. I love it. And I got cast to be in this film and I was excited about it. I was, you know, one of the leads I was, you know, uh, like second in, you know, as far as like the, the male leads and we were shooting this film and we were in uh, Bucharest, Romania, and it was a pretty low budget film, but I was having a great time. And, you know, the, the script was decent and I, um, and, and then I realized something as I was looking at the script and it, like it had, you know, the character's name and then it had your, your name, but it didn't have my name. It had my stage name. And I was like, is there any way we can change that? Oh, like, oh, no, no, no. Like we're like, this is part of us utilizing this. Hmm. It, was, it was something that my, my agent had worked out. So they wanted to use my popularity and leverage who I was in that capacity. So right. it almost like it broke me and kind of opened my eyes in a way where it's like, man, um, I don't even exist. And like that, yeah. that was a part, that was kind of the, that was one of the things that like really started to escalate some depression that I had. Wow. It's interesting because I, I can't imagine every male or female porn performer would have this sort of like, um, I guess a, a, a lifelong dream to be an actor and satisfying right. that through porn. Like obviously some of them are. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, I, I, I think I've met in, in that industry, um, like two or three, um, more so if, if, uh, they had a passion for modeling, like more so right. you had a, like, that was, that was, that was not like super common, especially for guys, a lot of like fitness models, but I mean, sure. they would, they would end up, so they would, they would get, they would get swayed into like, 
um, th those would be the people that they would be easily manipulated into the gay side of things because they showcase the guys. So it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, like being a good looking guy and being shredded, you know, that's great, but it's not that advantageous for you as a straight performer. It's like, really, if you're a good looking guy, you can get the job done. Great. If you're a good actor, like all these things, like, you know, they escalate your worth, but the fact that you're shredded doesn't really matter as much as being a good then. actor wow yeah. it's fascinating really interesting but i i guess it's just like interesting how um i can kind of see how in your heart all along like this is your it's your way of living out that dream of being an actor you're yeah. writing you're producing you're directing and i can yeah. just imagine the internal conflict when you realize oh these guys don't of course they don't care about that like they they're just it's a name they're trying to get yeah. the views. They don't even want to use my name. Like I can't even get yeah. the, the film credit on this. Um, yeah. It's just my stage name. It's really, really interesting, Josh. Um, wow, it's fascinating. It's a lot to take in, just understanding some of the yeah. nuances of the industry and how it works. So, yeah. okay, I, get, I guess my other question is, at this point um, where you know, you're starting to produce and you're starting to direct, is there anything in the back of your head that's going like that this is still wrong? Because you had kind of talked, I guess, how when you first said yes, that there was, of course, that thing that you kind of knew maybe not the right thing to do. Obviously, yeah. it could affect the reputation. What would my mom think? But you went through with it. Yeah. Does that thing just get kind of like beat down to a pulp by the time you're a couple years into it? Or I don't know, what, what did it look like at that point? I mean, so for me, it was, uh, it was instantaneous destruction of my life. I mean, within me being in the industry a month, I, um, I was, I was somewhat seeing someone, I was seeing someone with regularity, um, but she was a very successful dancer. So she, she worked at like a hip hop, like studio and taught dance. She had been in multiple music videos, had a great reputation, um, great person. You know, I, I, I confessed I did that. She's like, take a hike, very hurt, but she mm -hmm. was a nucleus of our friend group. And she had been working at um, the restaurant that I'd been working at for quite some time, you know, and so all of a sudden I, I'm the bad guy, you know, so yeah. I hurt this person. So I'm humiliated and, and already kind of feeling the shame. So that happened. So I end up quitting that job. In addition to that, you know, the, the first movie that I did was for, um, the number one internet company when it comes to pornography in the world. So that video within seven days had, you know, 300,000 views. So wow. it's everywhere. Um, someone sees it, tells my uncle who tells my mom about it. So now, Oh like, my gosh. I mean, so all within a month, I, I get fired by both agencies that are representing me. Um, so, I mean, every, everything in my life that was normal or in that I clung to, I either, it was impacted in an emotional way or it literally was gone. Wow. So for me, it was kind of like, okay, I have wrecked my life. What, what is there to do? And then there's the agent on the phone, like, Hey, everything went great on that one movie you did. I would love to offer you a contract. And I really thought. I, I didn't think much, to be honest. I just saw, okay, um, these things that I am pursuing, that's, that's no longer available to me. And, you know, what, what am I going to do? Yeah. And like, for me, it's like, my, I have a little bit of a background in personal training. 
I have a background in theater and acting, and all of a sudden my likeness is is you know useless. Yeah. And so, like, what am I going to do? And then this agent saying, "Hey, you know, there's there's several companies that want to work with you. You know, if you say yes, you know, we're we're on our way." Right. And I said yes to that, and you know that was in um, like the early like early part of the summer of like 2006 and that year I did over a hundred movies like wow. just in the rest of that year. And I mean, to be honest, like I, I became numb to it, but it was almost like I have destroyed my life. I am my shame. So I have no choice, but to continue to live in it. And that's yeah. a lot that, but that, yeah. I mean, I think that it's really important to articulate that. Like that was a lie that I chose upon my own volition to a believe and pursue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't have to do that, but because of my insecurity and, and my belief in my life being essentially ruined, like this is the card, you know, these are the cards I've been dealt. I have no choice, but to continue to do this thing that's sitting in front of me. Hmm. So wow, that's, that's, you know, and that decision turned into six years and a thousand movies. Jeez, man, that's wild. It, that's really powerful though, because on that that same lie exists on the other side of the screen, right? Like, um, like you and I, obviously today we're helping guys get free of this thing, and uh, a lot of them do believe that lie. Like, I'm just too far gone. You know, yeah. I've already tried X, Y, Z. So what's another slip here? What's another watch there? I'm never right. gonna get out. Um, you and I both know that's that's not true. Um, yeah. And in both of our situations, we did get out. Um, I'm, I'm curious, when did that start to happen for you? When was it that you you thought, hey, this there's more to life than this? Or I don't know, what was what was the kind of starting moment that uh, that got you out of pornography? Yeah, so for me, um, like it, it gradually got worse and worse. But the the really the shifting point for me was um, I was dating a girl for quite some time within the industry, and um, it was the the level of how toxic it was fueled my depression. And he, here's here's the lie that people within the industry believe about themselves that I have no value and I, I'm going to dictate my life as such. Hmm. And so you're in a relationship. I'm in the relationship with this girl. And the issue with um, being in the industry, so in, in the, you know, this is, uh, you know, the, the straight side of the industry, more often than not, there's there maybe 20 guys that work with regularity because a director is putting up all the costs. You know, you're, the director is, you know, hiring the talent, they're hiring the crew, they're, they're, they're renting the location, they're paying for the permits, they're paying for editing, so on and so on. And then everyone is getting paid on that set except the guy if he doesn't do his job because everyone gets paid no matter what except the guy. So if the guy can't do his job, there's no product. So all of a sudden there's $20,000 up in smoke for that day. So right. the directors hire the same guys over and over and over again because you have to be reliable or you just cost me a month of, of you know work. Jeez. So. So with that said, um, 
if you are dating someone that's in the industry, the probability is 100% of that person you're dating that you're in a monogamous relationship <laughs> with, quote unquote, monogamous relationship, because you both are having sex with people for a living. So nice. you're in this monogamous relationship with these, with your significant other working with having sex for money on camera with people that you know incredibly well because these guys you're on set for sometimes you know on a feature film you're on set you know 10 15 20 hours sometimes and oh. you i mean what what are you going to do not talk to the person sitting to your left or right of course you are you know you're going to go to the gym together you're going to eat tacos together you know whatever <laughs> and um so you know these people so i'm sitting at dinner I'm at Mastro's, uh, one of my favorite steakhouse. We're at Mastro's and I'm sitting at dinner and we're having this conversation and it just like dawns on me. Like I'm sitting at dinner with the person I'm dating and there's another couple sitting across from me and it's a Friday. And on Monday I had worked with the girl that is my, you know, one of my best mates, you know, girlfriend girlfriend and then yeah. in addition to that this guy had worked with the girl that i'm dating two days prior and we're sitting there having this conversation like it's this fictitious thing that doesn't exist and it doesn't have any impact on reality yeah and it's just this like hard pill to swallow because for me i grew up uh, my mom was 16 when she had me and, you know, I grew up like ready to knock guys out, like hitting on my mom. My mom is gorgeous. And, you know, she had me when she was 16. So she's in her early 20s as I'm in an adolescent. And, you know, I'm, I'm you know, fighting guys off in the grocery store. You know, don't look <laughs> at my mom. Don't talk to my mom. So I had this jealous spirit about me. So I'm yeah. sitting here being OK with the person that I'm dating and having, you know, real feelings about. Yeah, just her having sex with someone who I'm calling at least as a situational friend or yeah. occupational friend. And and then so so that played a, a large impact on my psyche. But in addition to that, the girl I was dating, she she enjoyed that and she wanted to introduce conversation about that into our relationship. And for me. Um, I think that's something that's just true about pornography, whether you're participating or you're consuming it, it, it blurs boundaries. Hmm. It blurs boundaries. What I'm, what I mean by that is um, within a monogamous relationship, you wouldn't have sex or you wouldn't pursue another person, but you would, you would send an inappropriate text. You would send a video or, or, or you would consume content. And it, and it stems from you watching pornography right? because all of a sudden, like you, you are getting this, you know, you're, you're getting this dopamine hit, you know, your, your, your frontal lobe is being impacted. Your heart is being impacted. Your brain is being impacted. So some type of emotional exchange happens, whether it's with a computer screen or a person, that's, that's a real exchange. So all of a sudden, that person that you are in a monogamous relationship with and you may love deeply, all of a sudden you've compromised that relationship and you blurred those boundaries. So all of a sudden, because you've done that, you're willing to say yes to something else. So I, I, I preface that by saying when she said that, I believed what what are boundaries? If she's OK with that, 
you know, who am I to say no to it? And it, and it stemmed from a lack of belief in myself, not, not knowing who I was. And if she wanted to do it, like, gosh, I, I don't want to be rejected. I already feel like a reject, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I said yes to that. Like she is an amazing person. You know, she's, she's very well known. I, I won't get into that, but, um, she said yes to that. I said yes to that. And that impacted me gravely. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was months after that, that I find myself like having a lot of success in the industry and even winning performer of the year. I got nominated for performer of the year three times, 2012. I won it. Mm-hmm. I didn't show up to the show because when I found out that I had won this award that I desperately wanted, I realized that that award, the money, the fame, the travel, um, it actually made it very clear to me that none of it was going to fill the void in my heart. And actually Hmm. by winning that award, it illuminated my brokenness. And that is the most alone I ever felt. And I didn't go to the show. They called my name to come get the award. And I was at home on my face crying my eyes out, asking the God that I really didn't know if, can you just make this stop somehow? Yeah. And that's when thoughts of self-harm started introducing themselves into my life. And wow. And then it it wasn't, it wasn't very long after that, that I walk into a bank. I, um, I, I normally would deposit a check. I'm either in the ATM or the Dropbox, but on this day, it just wasn't available. So I had to face the music. I had to have an interaction with a person and I didn't want to do that because the memo on the check always had the title of the movie and it was always graphic. Like, right. It was always no masking what it is. Yeah, Yeah. 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 So I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have that exchange, but I was like, whatever it is what it is. So I, I do that and no big deal. You know, do, do you, do you know your account number? No, swipe your card, put it in you know, put it in my checking account, blah, blah, blah. Here's your receipt. And I pivot to walk away. And then she says, Joshua, can I help you? Joshua, is there anything I can do for you? And it stopped me in my tracks because hmm. the reality was I had not heard my name in over a year. Wow. Every single person in my life that I had an authentic relationship, my parents, my friends, my brother, I had pushed away because I thought, how can I have any, how can I offer them anything? How can I be a son? How can I be a big brother? How can I be a friend? How can I contribute in any capacity? So I pushed them all away and I became this fictitious identity. And all of a sudden the, the hearing of my name shattered this plausible reality that I created with my shame because of my shame and when i heard it it just woke me up and i was and i and i went home and i looked myself in the mirror and i had no clue who i was looking at and i began to cry and just like feel the burden of my mom sending text after text and call after call because knowing she never stopped loving me Hmm. she she never affirmed what i was doing in the industry never sure but she but she never rejected me I never yeah. stopped being her son that she loved. And I just, she had been through a lot. And um, 
I just felt the weight of that. And I picked up the phone in that moment and called everyone that I needed to call and quit. And it was crazy. Like I, I put out, you know, I, I called my agent and I called everyone else and I called my PR person and they, they put out a press release saying that I retired or quit or whatever. And within 24 hours, there was this news story everywhere that I'd quit the industry because I had HIV. Wow. And like that was that 48 just hours. Totally fabricated, totally fabricated in a matter of a day. Yeah. And like one, like, you know, kind of like now it's like one, one person with a little bit of not credibility, just no, you know, just some following. Yeah. All of a sudden one person said that because for them, it was like, they were angry at me in general. This is someone that didn't like me. They didn't like the fact that I had a lot of success. Sure. So when I quit, when I threw away the thing that they could never have, it just infuriated <laughs> them. So it was like, if he's quitting, like it, it must be this. So, wow. yeah. Okay. Um, we got way deeper into the story than I intended to, but this is so good. <laughs> I just have two rapid fire questions and then I, I kind of want to, you know, ask about some of the things beyond, um, beyond this yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so my first question is while you're acting and you're producing, are you also consuming? Like, is that normal? Do, do people consume porn when they're acting in it or not so much? Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, it's possible, but I guess it, it would, it would, it would be dependent on like your level of involvement in the industry. Like for yeah. a girl, you would like a girl that's very popular and working consistently. Like maybe she's doing five to 10 movies a month, but for myself, like I was doing 25 to 30 movies a month. So like literally I was on set almost every day. So uh, in the in the industry, you don't do a lot of filming in December and January um, because they ha they have this big award show in January and everyone is you know, got their movies in and trying to get it finished and edited so they can get it to um, this award show so they can review it and it can get nominations because if it gets nominated, it gets more you know whatever. Sure. But you know, in in pretty much a ten month span. You know, I'm I'm on set 25 to 30 times a month, so I I wasn't consuming the content because I was literally being the content almost okay. every day. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, that that I mean that makes sense. And then I guess my other question is, um, are you making decent money? Um, and I'm thinking especially by the time you're directing and producing and all that kind of stuff, like are the are the contracts lucrative at all, or what? Like I'm wondering. I know like with Britney's story, by the time she leaves, I think she said she had ten thousand dollars in her bank account which is crazy when you think about how popular she was, but it goes to show you the actors aren't necessarily getting what they, what they're due, but you obviously climb the ranks a bit. And I don't know, is it, is it different on the male side? I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, for, for the money. Um, so, but for me, it was more like, so when a guy gets in the industry, they're lucky to work five times a month. And a guy starts out in the industry at like, you're making like two fifty three hundred $300 a scene. But for oh, me, wow. I started, by the end of my by the end of my time in the industry, I was making between eight hundred and a thousand dollars a scene, and I was working twenty five to thirty times a month. So I mean, I was making, you know, very high six figures. Yeah. I think the last the last year I was in the industry, I, I made around like three fifty k something wow. like that. So um, yeah. in addition to other things um, that I was like directing, producing stuff like that. Yeah, but, that's amazing. I mean, so yeah, but that's 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 not you know you're like when got when you're talking guys like you're there's maybe 10 guys making that kind of money and everyone yeah. else 
is not making a living doing it. Okay, got it, got it. And of, of course, I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter how you slice the money. Like, there's a a huge cost that comes with the, with even making it, and that oh, that absolutely. kind of sum, um, of course. But I I was curious because um, yeah, I think it puts it in perspective a bit. Thank you for sharing some of those stories too, because. Um, this is what's so amazing about your story, Josh, is it really does humanize what's going on behind the screen and, um, more people need that for sure. So, okay. I want to switch gears now. I want to fast forward a little bit. So it's 2012, I guess that you kind of quit. You're out of the industry. Here we are almost 10 years later. Um, and your life looks very different. I'm (laughs) I'm just (laughs) like, I mean, night and day. Right. And it, I guess hearing your story, it makes so much sense. Like your passion about producing and directing and writing, because when I see you post on social media, I'm like, this guy's a storyteller, like through and through. And it's really cool to see that I can't, I guess, coming out and that you're able to, you know, I think harness those God-given purposes and talents. Um, Where does God come into the picture? Where, because it it doesn't sound like you necessarily grew up with it um, or that you were like the rebel pastor's kid who got their wild streak out and then turned back. Like where, where did you decide to commit your life to Jesus? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I grew up, my grandparents were Christian. Um, my, my mom would say that she was Christian, but I think she, she gave her life to Jesus later on in life. But um, I, I grew up knowing a lot about God, but mm-hmm. not actually knowing him personally. But, you know, long story really short, um, after two years um, of running from my past, lying to absolutely everyone I met, um, including the places that I was working, the girls that I was trying to date, even the friends that I had, and just thing after thing blowing up in my face. What did you I tell them, by the way? What, what were the lies? What did you tell them? Oh, just, oh, just you know, what? Like you were living out in California. What were you doing out there? I was like, oh, you know, I, I was just you know doing a, doing a little bit of this and that. You know, just, uh, <laughs> modeling, acting. Don't Google me, please, please don't Google me. <laughs> yeah. you know, like I was doing okay, you know, and you know, I, I would fabric, I would fabricate what I was doing, and then um, you know, try like I had started doing CrossFit and got a, and got some like um, credentials like for CrossFit, which, you know, literally you go like, I love it. I love CrossFit so much, but in, in, in its infancy to be a trainer, to, to even own a gym, you literally go to a, 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 a two day certification. If you pass right. the test, here you go. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, so, so that was what I did. So I, I had, I had this exposure, but what happened was, is I'm working in this CrossFit gym, asked this girl out on a date. And honestly, I was just so tired of hurting people. And I was like, yeah. I saw that I was gifted as a communicator and I loved having these relationships with these people and, and just pouring into their lives and, and giving them information and the proxy of that was them changing their life for the better. And I, and I love seeing those results. And I was just like, there, there's just something in me that when I had this interaction with this person, I, I asked on a date, I was just like, I can't lie to this person. Mm-hmm. So I told this girl the truth and she was taken back by it and said, you know, I didn't expect to hear this. And then ultimately shared with me like, Hey, well, she asked me if I knew who God was. And I was like, yes, because up to that point, I would have, I probably would have said I was a Christian. And 
Um, then she asked me if I had a relationship with God. And that was really challenging to me because I saw myself of someone who no one would want a relationship with if you truly know, knew who I was. And I believe that, you know, God created everything. Um, he was all knowing. I, I believe that. Yeah. I believe there's attributes about him. But um, as far as knowing him on a, on a personal level, that was challenging to me. So I said, I, I don't know. And then, then uh, later that week, we um, we ended up going to church together, and and I heard the gospel, and and it was articulated in a way that made complete sense to me, and I responded to it. And that person that um, invited me to church is now my wife, and we've been married for five years, and we have three children, and my wow. life's incredibly different. But um, that that's when I surrendered my life to Jesus. But um, we 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 can dig into it if you want. But I I heard them I heard the story of Mephibosheth and heard how David extended grace to him. And then he pivoted yeah. and started talking about the grace in which God gives us through the person of Jesus. And and it just made so much sense to me because I saw myself as Mephibosheth as that person that was, that was crippled and broken. And I saw myself in that way. And I thought that I was going to get death because that's what I deserved, but hmm. I got grace instead. But Jeez. yeah. What a story. It's incredible. So, okay. I think the obvious question that people probably wonder is like, how, how does it come up in your marriage about your yeah. past? Um, cause obviously, you know, your wife clearly did not have an issue with it or was willing to talk it through and work it out. Um, and you know, maybe one day we'll get her on the podcast and she can tell her side of it, but yeah. I'm just curious, like, so you, uh, well, you said you, I guess you, you brought it up. Did she, when you started to date then, are there questions coming now? Like, wait, so did you do this and that? Or like, I don't know, um, like, I'm just curious, what was it like? Um, to, to be honest, like, so like pornography was something that was like, so like, I don't know, it, it was it was almost like I was speaking a different language. It was something that she had never <laughs> been exposed to or knew anything about. Yes. Um, she just knew that it was, you know, sex that was on video that was on the internet. And yeah. to be completely honest, like, man, she, she just, loved me right where I was and she was all she, like from that moment she st she stood firm in that yes those things are true about you but not for a second am I going to treat you like that's who you are yeah wow wow and I mean and that's and that's always been like has like that impacted our marriage in some capacity um not in the four walls not in the four walls of our house um more so um things happening that are out of our control like yeah you know people sending her and her family photographs um you know keep like things like that like like yeah you know i have probably 200 fake accounts on social media like there's <laughs> there's pictures of me oh on word. like dating websites you know it's um there, like stuff like that it's it's hurtful but it's not it's not anything that that impacts our, you know, our marriage in the four walls of our house. Sure, sure. Um, and what I love about our marriage is, man, it's just, I realized very quickly that I'd never experienced love. So from an intimate standpoint, I realized that I'd never experienced true intimacy. I'd never experienced love in that capacity. So everything with her is new. So um, did me personally being in the porn industry impact me 
emotional, emotionally and mentally? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Tell me more um, about that. That's it. what I was going to ask. Yeah. Double down I on think, that. Um, I, I think like the confusion and the shame of that, it caused me to be very jealous and very angry. Hmm. Like, and, and just in, it's just like random times. It's like when I, when I felt overwhelmed is, I mean, I think that's a, that's a huge misconception about Christianity that people once like salvation is instantaneous, but sanctification is a process. And within that process, God wants you to walk out and work out your faith, not your salvation, but he wants you to work <laughs> out and walk out your sanctification. And that looks like saying, Hey, um, I have exposed myself voluntarily to these things that have impacted the way that I see the world, the way that I see myself, and I need to reappropriate myself in the world. Like Second Timothy uh, 3.16, it talks about this reproof, this idea of dismantling and destroying your, your reality and mm-hmm. allowing God's word to essentially rebuild the way you see. And that's something that was very hard for me because I had a lot of wounds. And when I became a Christian, I tried to run like way too fast too soon. And that that caused me to um, experience some things, a lot of frustration um, in that, you know, I I didn't feel like I was good enough. And when something would blow up in my face, um, I would get angry Uh, when when I wouldn't like when when. People would ask me to share my story, but then like tell me like, "Hey man, please be on my podcast." And I'm like, "Hey, well, you know, also, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I can preach and teach, you know, I, I, I like, oh, that's awesome, yeah, man." But anyway, um, <laughs> you, you know, just like absolutely yeah. not. There's, there's no way there, there's, there's no way that you're, you're teaching from the Bible. You, you can tell your story, but there's no way that you're standing yeah. on, you know. And that was really hurtful. And I mean, I had, I experienced some like genuine hurt where I, I was in a, like a, an interim, like, you know, interim pastor. Like I was in a, um, this, this process with, um, my mentor for four or five years. And I had a lot of opportunities, but I had a lot of times where I would have an opportunity to do something and then someone would say, no way that not, that guy's not doing that. That guy's not leading this. This guy's not being part of this. And just people continuing to see me as that person. And when I would experience that as I've matured, I, I can see the hurt in them. But when I was immature, I, I saw the wrong in me. So it made me feel really angry and, um, I, I love the way that James, um, the book of James talks about anger. And um, I, I was reading the other day, it's talking about like, uh, like selfish ambition and just an uncontrolled anger. It's a, it's a lack of trust in God and a lack of love for people. And it's mm. like, man, wow. it's like, that's so true. It's like, I'm not trusting if God is the one who identifies me and my objective is to love him and to love others. I can't allow what people say about me to impact what I do. Like I can Mm. feel hurt. That's okay. But when I allow that external circumstance to have a internal impact on me, then that's different. But as an immature Christian, I wasn't quite there yet. That's why I was like, you know, just sharing my story. It's like, you know, I shared my story on, you know, Alan Parr's um, channel. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. it's about to hit 300k views in like 15 days and I've, I've gotten so many questions about that because you know he he asked some really great questions and just so many like so many questions that i think very often when you are when you're not solidified in who you are it's easy to get frustrated like we were talking about so we're called to have an answer for the faith we have or we're, we're also called to have um, an answer for the position we have yeah. and when people ask you questions that challenge you instinctually as a person if you don't know the answer or if that question challenges you it, it's very often that you at your fear is the catalyst for anger and you act out in frustration and you're not very loving but as I've grown <laughs> as a person and man, if, if nothing humbles you and creates patience in you, it's being a father. <laughs> like we have, we have three young children and just, man, um, just, just growing to the point where either someone asked me something that I don't know the answer to and just having the humility. It's like, man, um, I, I don't know how to answer that, but I can point you to someone who does. I was like, or um, if, if you feel like, you know, about this, please share it with me. I would love, sure. I, would, I would love to know. And yeah, it's just yeah. like, yeah, like you're not called to have all the answers. You're called to have the answer. And somehow, and sometimes by asking questions, you can come across the answer, but I just wasn't ready for that. And I think, I think that's why I'm getting the opportunities that I'm getting now, because man, I just wasn't mature enough and I wasn't healed. Like I was still like really broken from that because the reality is like, People will say, man, a thousand movies, like all this stuff. That's awesome. That's so cool. You made all this money. It's like, man, um, every single day I was living my nightmare yeah. because at the end of the day, I had, you know, I was on set with 20 or 30 people having sex in front of all these people. Um, there were, there were can't, you know, two or three cameras. There was a boom. There was a sea light. Um, there was a, you know, an assistant eating Doritos in the corner. And, <laughs> and I was so exposed with regularity that I just, I had to hide from people. Hmm. I just, I, I hid from everyone. Yeah. And, and that's why I became more and more of a recluse, a more and more of a, a recluse because I, just, I was so exposed so often that it was just like, it took so much um, for me just to make it from day to day. But the reality is, man, if, if you're selling yourself in any capacity, when you go to sleep at night, you're not proud of yourself. Yeah. And as you do that, that feeling grows deeper and more potent. Hmm. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, you do a lot of things now that I think you would be proud of. You know, I imagine it's a little bit easier to sleep at night these days. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, I sleep good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I bet. I bet. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about, like, what are some of the things God's putting on your heart these days? Um, what are, when you're looking ahead, what's, what's the message you're really trying to trumpet? Because I think when, when you get to talk with you a bit more, it's very clear that the, the porn, the pastor thing is like, that's really just the tip of the iceberg. You know, there's so much right. more to you and clearly a lot more God's put on your life. So I'm just, I'm curious. And I, I think it's also worth mentioning, like you're pursuing your masters of Christian leadership right now. So, um, yeah. you know, you're really, uh, you're putting in your work, man, which is just amazing. Um, just tell, tell us a little bit, what are you, what are you learning and, uh, what's God speaking to you about these days? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, that, that is, that is also something that people often will look back on. It's like, 
all you became a Christian and you used to be a, you know, a porn star. Like, why do you think you need, you can be a pastor? Like, you know, what, what are your qualifications? It's like, well, uh, a four-year internship, uh, a, de- a degree <laughs> from Liberty University in Christian ministries, and you now I'm pursuing my master's. And I, I studied uh, Greek at you know through Dallas Theological Seminary for a year. And it's like you know, I, yeah. I, it's not about credentials, but man, I have busted my butt, and this is the this has been the thing that I'm most passionate about for the last seven years. Mm. Um, but what what? Specifically, some of the things that put on my life, it's I believe that God has called me to be a voice in the direction of pornography. Like my 10 year dream is to eradicate the production of pornography. And I know that's a heavy dream. And, and I know that sexual immorality will always exist, but the production of pornography doesn't have to. Yeah. And I think that people that continue to say yes to doing porn, it's, it's because at the end of the day, People believe when they consume pornography over and over and over again, they are experiencing this level of love and and they they start to see, you know, this thing that they're doing is something that's good for them. But the reality is it's just a Band-Aid over the wound of not feeling like you're loved or not feeling like you're seen or you're known. And you use that to cover up the real issue. Yeah. So for me, it's like, I think that, um, God, the the greatest thing that I've ever done is to understand this. My story is not mine. It's God's. It's what God has done in my life and through my life. And it is his and his plan will never lack his provision. So understanding that he is going to do what he is going to do no matter what, but he has given me the leverage and the platform to do the things that I'm doing now. So for me to do it well, is for me to educate myself and to be well-versed, but also trust that he is the one that's going to see it through. So, and just in understanding the urgency of this, like not shying away from this is a problem, like pornography and just sexual immorality is a problem. Yeah. And it's because it's not talked about. It's because like the things that we shy away from in church, if, if church is supposed to be what God intended it to be, like not a place that you go on Sunday to hear some things that make you feel good. If church is a place where you're you're there to hear truth and you're here to there you're there to hear truth so that you go and dig deeper into that truth and live that truth out in your life so that it impacts other people because your life is not about you. Hmm. So understanding that, so my life is not about me and God has given me this gift in my testimony. So I believe that I need to do all I can to utilize that. So what that looks like, um, I'm writing a book, I'm writing multiple books. <laughs> so I'm, oh, I'm writing cool. a book. So my, my book, it's, it's essentially, uh, seven chronological stories of my life with the end of each chapter being or each section being a practical and spiritual application through the lens of set the seven I am statements of Jesus. So, so that's what my book is about. Cool. But in addition to that, I'm, I'm writing another book and I'm creating this video curriculum for the, the fa- it's called the father, the, the fatherless man. So how to be a man when you grew up without a male influence. And I think oh, that wow. there's so many variations of that because I grew up without a father being in proximity but there's so many people that grew up with a father, but he just wasn't emotionally present or yeah. maybe they lost their father. There, there's so there's so many nuances to that. But, man, how do you figure out to be the man of God that God has created you and called you to be in a world where 
you know, the world is telling you, you need to be this, this, and that. And God has called you to be something so contrary to those yeah. things. So, so that's what that is about. And, um, I'm, I'm passionate about purity. I'm passionate about purity. And I yeah. think that, I think it's so important because, you know, I, I don't know if you had the opportunity to read that, um, that article I wrote for moral revolution. I did. You know, like, yeah. pur- like purity is not something you lose, right? Like, yes, like God, like God's desire for you is to keep you safe and he creates boundaries for you so that you can have a life protected by him, but you have to humble yourself underneath his mighty hand. So mm-hmm. I, I tell my kids not just touch the stove because I don't want them to get burned and they have yeah. the choice to listen to me or not, but I know better than them and I know they're going to get burned. So I protect them from that. So mm-hmm. I that's why God sets boundaries for us. So I think that, you know, th- there's, there's things that God don't, doesn't want us to experience but even if you touch the stove, the hope is you don't touch it again and you learn your lesson from it. So yeah. um, I, th- I think that's incredibly important. So you know, even looking back to my wife and I, like my wife meets this, this maniac idiot guy <laughs> that has done a thousand movies and just completely <laughs> lost. And she sees something in me and we go on this journey together. And in the process, we choose to devote our lives collectively and individually to God. And we go through a premarital counseling and we, and we find these nuances about each other. And in goodness, if you have not, if you're engaged and you're about to be married and you have not done premarital counseling, yeah. you're making a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And it's and like, this is not like, yes, this is a Christian concept, but it's just like, this is just a general concept because if you have not had conversations about how you're going to spend your money, how, chores are going to be delegated um you know bathroom stuff i mean just like such the 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 most silly things because where there is not clarity there is confusion and where there's confusion there's arguments that you don't need to have (laughs) you don't need to have these stupid arguments because you chose not to just have a really clear conversation about expectations so um, it's it's really important and just love language like i i think that's really important but yeah, we, we can get into that another time. But um, my, my book about um, my story, ultimately leveraging the story that God has given me and pointing people to Jesus through that and just yeah. really finding ways um, to walk in the freedom that God desires us to have, not only from pornography, but from sin and um, uh, just just men, just leading men and um, and purity. So th- those are those are my three big rocks. That's cool, man. But yeah. Okay. I got, I got two questions here as we kind of wrap up. So I think one, one thing that parents will run into and maybe not even parents, but even leaders is it, we know the, the, the standards of the Bible. Like we, we understand God's called us to a certain standard all across the board, but of course in our sexuality as well. But, um, frequently I will hear people say, well, like who am I to really tell my kid that he can't do that? Like I struggle with that for most of my life and whatever. Um, and I imagine very few guys could say, well, who am I? Like I've been in a thousand porn films, but yet here you are like this extensive history in basically the completely opposite direction. You've now become this voice for purity and, and for, you know, living a a healthy life, um, and making good sexual decisions and biblical sexual decisions, mind you. Um, how do you do that? How did, how did you make that, that paradigm shift so that you actually feel like you can do that with some authority and some credence? 
Um, and I, I think I think we all know like maybe some of the stereotypical answers, but I'm just wondering like what did that process look like for you to actually do this with some authority? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, I had to experience it before I could, you know, deposit it in other people, and hmm. um, it it wasn't um, like I tried to be good, right? I tried. I got another job. Um, I started, uh, my job encompassed me like doing good things, helping people. Um, but just, just really understanding that the, the pain that the industry causes and just the reality that, you know, that there's things that have happened to me in my life that are powerful and real. I mean, the fact that there's 30 plus people who I was in the industry with that have taken their life via suicide or overdose. 30 Jeez. plus people 30 wow. and it's and it's because you know you you're in the industry um you're told this is who you are so this is what you have to do who's going to want to marry you what business is going to hire you you're told this over and over and over again so that you can be manipulated and you you know the industry runs its course and all of a sudden your phone stops ringing and you've believed yourself like you don't have to believe what people say but you you can choose to and if you choose to believe what people say you know, I am this person, I'm dirty, I'm broken, I'm not worthy, I'm not valuable. And if my value is tied to what I do, and all of a sudden I can't do the only thing that you say that I can do, my life has no purpose. My life yeah. has no value. My life, like, why should I be excited about the longevity of my life? And they turn to drugs at sometimes to try to mask the pain and overdose or it they just become so overwhelmed in their their reality and they don't see a way out and then they're taking their life and, wow. and like yet yeah, like and I, and i i just i cringe at people saying well you know 30 people people take their lives all the time it's like you're talking about 30 out of a thousand not sure. 30 out of a billion yeah you know? right right so that's that's just real but for me um it's like the Bible was not like encouragement from someone who had some good thoughts. Like, I believe it's, it's truth from the person who created me, you know, the, yeah. the, the entity that created me. And when you take God's word seriously, I think it, it, it carries such a weight that um, when you really lean into that, when you communicate it, um, if you're living it out, it has, it has more impact, but. 100%. No, that, that's really well said. So my, my last question here, I think it's my last question, although you just mentioned something that maybe <laughs> I'll still ask you about. We'll see. But okay, um, you had talked about how like when you were young, um, being quite sexually promiscuous. And um, I'm really intrigued by the second book idea you had mentioned just about talking or talking about fatherlessness, um, whether it's actually physically like they're not in the home or like you said, emotionally, they're just not present. Um, yeah. Because I think, um, I know some people who would theorize that a lot of the troubles in our society that we experience are because of the, the lack of father, fatherlessness. Um, and, and to be, I guess, maybe a bit more comprehensive about that, it's more the breakdown of family, you know, and then the family unit. But I guess I'm just curious, like, um, what did you attribute to your sexual promiscuity? Because I think that part of your story is actually really powerful because you can kind of yeah. see, um, again, it's a bit extreme, but the destructive path that that can lead you on. 
I, yeah. I would venture a guess and say that maybe if you didn't have that past, then when you met those girls and they're inviting you to, you know, to think yeah, about porn, said, like you guys are crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like you have no predisposition to that. Your, your mind's not in that direction. Um, yeah. I guess I'm just curious, like what, do, what do you attribute to that? And, um, well, yeah, that's, that's the main thing I'm, I'm wondering about. I'm just, why, why do you think that happened that way? Yeah, I think that, <clears throat> I think for me it's twofolds. So I can say this because, so my brother, he adheres to universalism. He is a PhD professor at a large university and he teaches genetics. And for him, um, we have different fathers, but, but he experienced, you know, a lot. Like he didn't experience the trauma that was going on, so he was he was very abusive and was was on drugs and and whatnot to my mother, but he he experienced when what he remembers is on Saturdays him saying that he was going to show up and take him to do whatever and him not showing up, time after mm -hmm. time after time. So he constructed his ideology of what a father is based on inconsistency. So when he sees John 14, 6, that's saying that I am the truth, the way, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, his idea of a father is through the lens of inconsistency. So how can I trust that Jesus is the only way to the Father if my idea of what a father is is inconsistent? So when you say that not a dot, not one, not an iota of your word will pass until it's all fulfilled, how can I trust that is true if you in yourself is inconsistent? So it's so important that when we build our thought, our truth, our understanding of what a father is. Yeah an earthly father and a heavenly father are distinctly two different things. So for me, yes, um, I am you know, from a personality standpoint, very high achiever. And often I find that my achiever esque, <laughs> my achievedness, um, <laughs> it fuels or it, um, it, it can become very unhealthy because often sure. I will, I will try to achieve something and that achievement will compensate for a hurt or it will mask a hurt. So in my life early on, I had to be the best at sports. I had to win all the scholastic awards. I had to, to land all the modeling gigs. I had to do, I had to do, 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 because I was trying to, you know, one up everyone and feel good about myself. I was trying to achieve what I didn't have is which I believed was acceptance. I was trying to earn acceptance. And then I saw like, okay, you know, I, I can, I can get these relationships with girls. And it was like, sadly, it was, it was less about the emotional and the sexual connection. It was, it was more of the achievement. It's like, yeah. man, if, if this girl would surrender herself to me, she must trust me. And, and, and I, and I achieved that. And it was almost like this, like sick, twisted conquest in how I mm. lived my life where like I, I didn't intend to be malicious, but I was. I didn't intend to be a bad friend for a lot of people, but I was. I was inconsistent. I lacked integrity. I, I said I would do things and I didn't. And, and that's who I was because my reality was based on no one really cares about me anyway. So what can I really offer? So it doesn't matter if I don't show up. It doesn't matter if I'm faithful to you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I like when I say I had to, I had to dismantle and destroy every aspect about myself. It, you know, I, I really mean it. It was, it was difficult. And that's something that I'm still working on, to be honest. I mean, sure. like, like God is still working in my life and, 
you know, as a father, it's like people ask me these questions. It's like, what are you going to tell your kids when they see your movies? You know, and like, or like if you're like when you're preaching to people, like, you know, aren't you worried that they've seen your movies? I'm like, if you asked me that question five years ago, I would have shuddered. But like now I'm like, well, I talk about my story with a lot of regularity. I'm, I, I am owning like my past doesn't own me. I own it. Um, yeah. But it sounds like you have a problem with pornography. <laughs> I would love to, to, you know, talk to you or maybe connect you with some resources that can yeah. <laughs> help you with you know, what you're struggling with, you know? But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that, yes, absolutely. My, my lack of um, understanding who I was and me constructing my identity built on, I need to prove myself to the world because I didn't know who I was and I felt like I wasn't accepted. And it was, yeah. and it's just weird. Like, I don't know if I've ever talked to anyone like with the, the specific dynamic that I had, because the weird thing was my father. So like, my mom got pregnant with me when she was 16 and my father was in the same town I was in and I would see him with regularity. So I knew about him and I saw him, oh, but wow. I mean, he was a 16 year old. He just chose not to be in my life, paid child support, um, was you know, a fine guy. And I saw this guy like, you know, meet someone, you know, not, I didn't see him meet someone, but you know, like he met someone, got married, bought a home, had two children, you know, this like staple in this community. Um, him, wow. he lived, he lives beside his dad and they own a farm together and um, very like, you know, like not super, super wealthy, but very successful in the capacity, you know, in the lane they are, they're in. And just, um, just not that I grew up like needing anything. Like my mom, like provided for me, like we weren't, you know, very well off, but I never went without anything. My mom is incredible. Like I did she not have be. a bad yeah. childhood whatsoever, like at all. But just that, that belief in man, he's right there what what's wrong with me yeah and it was almost this subconscious this you know this this one thought that grew into this belief that you know i'm not good enough and i kept feeding this monster and it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew wow yeah it's really powerful and i i think like for me I'm, i would say i'm a recovering perfectionist as well like very high achieving and um learning to accept the unconditional love of father is a it's a paradigm shift for me, you know, and something that I'm, I'm working out regularly. But I think um, your story is really it's driving it home in a whole nother way. It's really cool, man. Thank you for sharing so transparently. Um, Absolutely. We've gone a bit longer, but I, I think this question is really important. I've been trying to, to shake it, but I feel like I need to ask it. Um, you talked about like really experiencing a pretty severe bout of depression, um, being even suicidal yourself. And then you had mentioned having lost 30 plus friends to suicide from the industry. Um, I think the mental health conversation is, is going to be ongoing. We know that anxiety rates, depression rates are at all time highs. And um, unfortunately, they're, they're trending in the wrong direction. Yeah. I'm just wondering today, like after all you've been through, you've experienced a lot of healing. You've clearly done some work. I don't know if you went to therapy or whatever, but you've clearly done some work um, yeah. internally. Um, you're getting your education like you've really cleaned up your life. But I'm just curious for you personally, Josh, is what, what's your mental health like these days? Um, and and how have you how have you coped or, or worked through it? Yeah, I think that um, do you do you know I would love to connect you with do you know John Seidel? I don't know. Seidel, John Seidel. Um, gosh, where's his 
he he just wrote this book. Uh, I'm not trying to plug it or anything, but uh, he just wrote this book, <laughs> uh, fi- Finding Rest. But cool. the the it, it's called a survival uh, a survivor's guide to navigating the valleys of anxiety, faith, and life. And what we were talking about is so often as a Christian, we could say. Um, you know, anxiety, stress, you know, that's, that's not biblical, pray it away, you know, but it's like, it, like an answer to basically every question. Um, it's always both. And hmm. so it's, it's counseling and biblical truth. Yeah. It's, it's, it's relationships, healthy relationships and a, a great relationship with God. So, but for me, it was, redefining who I was based on what God says about me and have like my mentor for me, it was, he just provided a space where weekly we would have hot conversations, right? Honest, open and transparent conversations and just having someone in your life that you can just be honest with like for good or for bad. I suck today. You know, I'm terrible. Um, I struggle in this way. And then having someone that you can be authentically accountable to. And what I mean by that is, you know, if we're having a conversation, if, if we're going to say, hey, you know, we're going to have these conversations weekly and you're saying, you know, I don't want to watch pornography. And then I I come to you and say, you know, I, I slipped up. I was on Instagram and I looked at this thing and I found myself on this website. Man, I, I really regret doing it. And if your response is, man, you shouldn't have did that silly (laughs) or if your response is you know i i'm actually um let's let's call your wife right now let's call her right now we're gonna we're gonna you know so it it's 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 not it's neither one of those Hmm. but a healthy response is josh um you you said that you didn't want to do that because of the the detriment it was causing in your life you we talked about that you know you are betraying the trust of your wife's it's impacting your family and this is contrary to the direction that you said that your life wants to go you know this is hurtful to your life and the people you care about Hmm. what led you to make that decision Hmm. and like in that then that flips the script that changes everything because if you have someone where you can extend trust and receive critical feedback like that is where healing is yeah yeah not on either side of the coin but but yeah like that that for me was like having relationships in my life consistently since then where i can have those conversations where i can be vulnerable and honest and transparent but be held accountable and be challenged i think you know when when you can know that you're in a in not in a healthy place if you receive critical feedback and your first instinct is to push back you can tell if you're in a healthy place if you have you you receive critical feedback and your first response is to lean in. I'm like, okay, um, what what can I do better? You know, what what can I do? Because that's how people grow. Like healthy mm. things grow and growing things change. So in, unless if you're not growing and you're not changing, you're stuck in a stuck place is not a good place to be. That's so good, man. So good. Josh, this has been incredible. Um, uh, I feel like I could, it's funny, we've gone pretty long here and I feel like I could go for another hour and a half. This has been really cool. Um, you have a podcast coming out. I know people are going to want to connect with you. Just tell us a little bit about what you're up to and some of the ways that people can find out your stuff. Yeah. So um, all of my social media is I am Joshua Broom. 
Yes, and you have to clarify I'll, so you can get the counterfeits out of there, right? Let them know yeah, I am. Yeah. It's me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, <laughs> and then my book, my my book is it it uh, it coincides with the I am uh, statements of Jesus. But yes. um, and my website is joshuabroom.me. So that's my website. So that's where um, any bookings for podcasts, um, speaking engagements, stuff like that. And then my podcast, you can find it on the the Edify app. And everywhere else, but Edify app is like this really great place. Tons of really awesome Christian podcasts on there, but there's no there's no Y on it, so it's E D I F I app. Um, okay. But it's called Counterfeit Culture, and I could go deep, deep, deep into why I chose that. But ultimately, you know, we to identify what is fake, um, you compare it to what is real. So mm. when it when in, uh, from a monetary standpoint, if a, if a teller is you know, familiar with how money feels, holds it up to light. You know, she, she examines real currency so that when something fake comes along, she'll be identifying quickly. So just talking about relationships, what it means to be a man, um, health and fitness, uh, counterfeit Christianity, um, <laughs> counterfeit, you know, sex, like all those things, but, um, any and all things counterfeit exposed to light so that we can see what is truth and truth, I believe, is found in the word of God and what he says. Yeah, come on. That's amazing. Josh, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. Absolutely, bro. Glad to be here. Hey, everybody. So that was my interview with Josh. And man, he's, he's an inspiration. Um, I just think about some of the, the shame that I dealt with while struggling with a porn addiction and how hard it was to overcome that and the remorse and the self-loathing. Um, but you know, like on the other side of the screen, it's just staggering to hear about what he went through, um, the depression, and to see him come out on the other side. He's like such a happy guy. We, we spoke for like another 20 minutes after we hit record, or finished recording rather, and just joking around and you know, getting to know each other. And like, it was so much fun. And um, I'm actually gonna be interviewing on his podcast really soon. And anyway, like he's just, he's an amazing guy. And uh, I really do encourage you to check out his stuff. Counterfeit Culture is his podcast. Follow him on Instagram too. Like he's got the best posts, man. I think I said that when we hit record. I forget. I might have said it before. Um, but he really, um, he's a storyteller through and through. And uh, this guy, you're going to keep hearing his name. So you might as well start following him now. Um, thanks so much for listening. And look, if you are um, maybe not on Josh's side of the screen, you're not a performer, uh, but you are a consumer and you know you need some help, uh, you can check out the Ultimate Recovery Guide that is going to give you some really practical applications uh, to get started on your healing journey. So that's ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Much love to you. Thanks for listening. We'll talk soon. Hey, everybody. It's Sophia again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you left a rating or review on your podcast platform. Now, I want to take this final moment to invite you to something that I'm really excited about, our deep clean VIP community. Here's the deal. We saw that in this space of manhood, sexuality, and faith, there are a lot of unasked questions. They range from relationships to sex to male anatomy, calling, career, and everything in between. We create a deep clean VIP for men like you who want regular coaching from me, VIP access to our podcast guests where you get to interact with some of the world's leading experts in men's health, a monthly seminar, and a community of men from around the world pursuing success in life and integrity in sexuality. Deep Clean VIP provides answers to your deepest questions, hope for a full recovery, and the necessary tools to make that full recovery a reality. If you're ready to take things to the next level, 
I want you to stop what you're doing right now and sign up for Deep Clean VIP at www.sathiasam.com slash deepcleanvip. The link is in the show notes, but let me give it one more time. That's www.sathiasam.com slash deepcleanvip. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.